Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch on the Idle Thumbs Network. I am Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. And this week, we are discussing the 22nd episode of Twin Peaks, Double Play. Double Play. That name, Isn't that what it's called? Yeah, it's got a lot of a lot of meaning. Uh, That's it's, true. It's, there are a lot of double. There are a lot of mirrored things actually in this episode. Some stupider than others. Oh man! So you're saying that? Okay. Um, I didn't notice that. So let's talk about that in a minute. It was directed by Uli Edel. It was written by Scott Frost, and it first aired February second, nineteen ninety one. Is uh, Scott Frost related to Mark Frost? I believe that that is the case. Um, I guess we shouldn't get into this till next week, but next week's episode is directed by Diane Keaton. So anyway, um, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Wikipedia is telling me things. Wikipedia is also telling me that Thomas Eckert as the character has his own Wikipedia page. So interesting, <laughs> interesting definition of notable Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. So Scott Frost <laughs> is uh, Mark Frost's brother. Yeah. And therefore also the son of Warren Frost, Doc Hayward. Yeah. He's, yeah. um, He's written on a couple other episodes uh, this season, I think. Yeah, one one other. Episode. Oh, one other. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Drive with a oh, dead he, girl. He, classic. He wrote uh, he wrote the autobiography of FBI agent Dale Cooper. Okay. Weird. Uh, okay, so <laughs> this episode, holy crap! So two episodes ago, we talked about. Oh, I'm sorry. So let me let me give the plot summary here. Uh, so in, uh, in this episode, we learn more details about Wyndham Earl and meet him for the first time. We learn more details about Thomas Eckert and meet him for the first time. Uh, we learn more details about Andrew Packard and Pete meets him for the first time in a long time and <laughs> James leaves. So that's, <laughs> that's the rundown. Good. Sweet. sweet. Some other things too, probably. So, okay. So this episode was ludicrous. I thought. Um, two episodes ago, was it? I think we, that was our sort of bizarro Twin Peaks yeah. episode where Twin Peaks tried this like crazy antic version of itself. And then last week kind of subsided a little bit. And yeah. I, I feel like we're just back into, into crazy land again. Yeah, but with it's this episode but, in a dip, but yeah, in a different way. The episode two weeks ago, um, that episode, it was crazy, but it was, I, I found it actually strangely watchable. That was, uh, I guess that was. Oh man, what episode was that? Well, whatever. Um, it's the twentieth episode, whatever that was. Oh, the Black Widow. Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that episode, that was the really weird episode that just felt like, th- like the inmates running the asylum, basically. And I, yeah, I actually absolutely. enjoy, I enjoy that episode in a lot of ways, despite it just being kind of trash. But this episode, well, okay, actually, the first like twenty minutes or so of this episode, I was kind of on board with it. I was kind of like in the in the spirit of the previous two episodes, I was giving it its chance. But holy. <laughs> wrapped by the end of it it was just like i don't know about this show yep. <laughs> i don't know i'm remembering now why i stopped watching uh this close to the end basically well i so i've seen all of twin peaks certainly before and man i remember almost none of this stuff <laughs> i uh i remember of all thi- of all the things to remember i remember the james stuff go figure um and then Nadine and Ed, I guess I remembered. I, I, I remembered. Remember, I didn't remember any of this weird, just like middle-aged white guys being diabolical, of whom there are a million in this episode. There's there's Wyndham Earl, who we finally meet. There's Thomas Eckert, who <laughs> we are introduced to through like a completely um, uh, like extra, just indulgent shot of the 
fireplace in the Great Northern reflecting through his sunglasses. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Packard, we continue to meet by way of him just like blowing your mind by explaining how mind-blowing everything he's achieved (laughs) is. He definitely blew Pete's mind. Uh, I actually don't remember any of that storyline, but the thing that I – the thing that I remember from my first watching of this is Leo like turning into the Renfield character for – for Wyndham Earl, like it just turning into like weird hunched dominion, man. I, I, I somehow that's my, been my takeaway from this. Oh uh, yeah. Piece. Okay. So I, so for the first like half of this episode, when, when Cooper was like reciting all this Wyndham Earl lore, I guess. And then, <sighs> and then Leo was, Leo was being Leo. All I could think about was that Wyndham Earl was being positioned as like the deranged super genius, villain and then leo was basically like jason the sort of yeah. like unkillable oafish leo was, leo was shot entirely as jason or michael myers or something it was yeah it was ex- right yeah exactly and then while that's happening we're cross-cutting back and forth between a bunch of scenes that include cooper just being like windham earl is a genius he murders he went mad like it's I, I, it just the whole thing felt like everything was being pushed to like comic book world. Yeah. I, I could not stand the way that Cooper was talking about Wyndham Earl. Like, I feel like this show has been notable at its highest points because it shows doesn't, and doesn't tell like the, the way that Bob works, the way that Leland Mm -hmm. works, the way that Mm -hmm. sort of evil and twin peaks works has always been powerful by demonstrating either what it leaves in its wake or what it is capable of. Whereas now we have like, a dead character who's murdered in like a buffoonish way other than I guess there's no prince or whatever. But then it's just Cooper telling everyone over and over again, you don't understand. This looks <laughs> basically saying this looks stupid and like anything else. But I, it's really it's really good. Like well, he's really I mean, he got, yeah. look out. You don't even know. And like being told. <laughs> there's, also, there's also no um, – the show, I guess we're talking about sort of Cooper and Little Merle first. But like the, 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 way, the way lines are – put together with respect to this stuff to me is just totally ridiculous. Like there's a point at which Cooper explains all of this shit and then Hawk or someone is like, Coop, are you sure Wyndham Earl is behind this? Or and then he says, he, he just like, gives him like a glare. No, he just like guessed exactly what this wound was going to be. And like, oh, yeah, so no, it was probably some other guy. It's probably it's just the whole thing is just none of Leland. it rings true to me either in the larger sense or in those sort of micro character moments. <laughs> twist this man was killed with an original confederate army rapier <laughs> ben horn who did it this time fake out <laughs> i mean no that's all just part of windham Earl's, you don't understand jake how brilliant he is i i don't because he's he, a genius and he's taken his first pawn in a very sick game let me tell you repeatedly how smart and dangerous he is um because there's there's no reason to actually like convey this through the narrative we'll just tell you repeatedly um mm-hmm. I, uh, for, for oh go ahead you know, just you couldn't understand um so it's not worth <laughs> not worth even i trying to put it in a tv show about this mm-hmm. um it's true um the that is also i think echoed in the way that uh um briggs starts talking about the white lodge at this point now we're basically it's basically just like later seasons of lost or something or the air force i trusted them but they're trying to get to the white lodge it's like that 
the U.S. military is now like officially trying to get to the white. We still don't know what this thing even is. Uh, it's because it's classified. It's, like, it's classified. It's, you don't understand. He's a genius. It's classified. Just <laughs> accept these things. Chris. We're just it, this. It's funny how much this now just reminds me of kind of modern television lore building of just throwing things into the mix again and again and again and again and again without any modulation that's just like uh it's a conspiracy but it's a bigger conspiracy oh my god that conspiracy is part of a larger conspiracy yeah it's it's fuck we don't have to explain this yet do we it's more conspiracy it feels like they like when constructing this stuff they constructed the sort of high concept design of who Wyndham earl is and how he kills and how it ties into this the project blue book and the white lodge and all this stuff. And then once they constructed all of that, they took it for granted and didn't bother to actually tell the reason that that's interesting inside of the show, which is just mm-hmm. like, Oh no. <laughs> it's very, it's, 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 it's also, it's also hilarious to me now how many crazy murderers and like schemers are needed to replace. So this show originally basically had, there was the murder of, of, um, of Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. And then there was the kind of just like always kind of weirdly murky mill plot. But the Laura, murder of Laura Palmer was kind of just something that was like an event that had happened at one point. It didn't really like re intrude as an actual current event con- um, committed by someone with agency until, you know, halfway through season two when, uh, Leland starts, you know, going crazy. But like for the most part, this stuff was all pretty slow burn. Whereas yep. now we have Wyndham Earl and we have the Thomas Eckert, Andrew Packard stuff. And Leo is now like a crazy killer on the loose. Like it just seems like, I mean, and this comes after all of that, like sting operation well, then there's stuff. Also completely unrelated. There's just, there has now been a bonus third major murder storyline that took the inside of Twin Peaks because the, that wife killed her husband in a car accident and framed oh, James. True. And I mean, it's completely inconsequential. It takes place off screen, but just sh- there's just this other <laughs> secret, just like Island uh, uh, of like Twin of Peaks Island. Basically, this yeah. is like, he's not my brother. He's actually a co-conspirator in this attempt to murder my husband who uh, <laughs> like may or may not be abusive to me. And I may or may not be playing you, but I want you to run but I love you. Yeah. Are we, are we done with that? By the way, that was the most ridiculously tidy conclusion. I like they sort of, they don't explain what's going on until seconds before the entire thing is done. Not that it isn't sort of obvious already, but like suddenly everything is explicitly explained. And then, and then it's all over. And Donna is just like already hanging out by a tree there. And then they just leave. (laughs) um, Anyway, forget everything that just happened now. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it was, it was very strange. Jeffrey Marsh, her, uh, her husband, when he, when, when he takes the, um, the Jaguar out, I guess it was a Jaguar. I think that James was, was repairing. And then it cuts to Evelyn, that woman's like face as he drives away. Then you hear the sound of a car crashing and exploding. I thought that was like a strange visual, like bad, like bad visual audio storytelling device for like her imagined version of what that's, was going to happen. What, that's what Sarah said happened. And I, and I was, I was just confused. But then what, and then yeah, I guess then we're later like supposed what, to believe that was the actual accident that occurred like 20 feet 
down their driveway? Yeah, I guess he drove away with his to car. Kill just... him? <laughs> yeah, did I... he just like do zero to sixty in four seconds and slam into their gate? Like, how did he die? So yeah, well, I don't, did... I don't understand. I couldn't figure out what was supposed to be happening there. It felt, it felt very much like it, it felt very impressionistic. But then later in the episode, they lead you to believe that it actually because right, the police just show up and then they're like, "You got to run, James. I framed you." It's... Yeah. <laughs> Also, she goes from one second to be like, you can't leave, you can't leave, sirens, go, James, go. Yeah, it felt, <laughs> like, it felt like five more episodes of this drawn-out garbage story arc just got the bullet in mm-hmm. the head in this episode. Yeah, basically in the same breath, she, he's like, I can't stay here, it's wrong. And she's like, I love you, James. I've never said that to anyone before in my life. Dot, 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 dot. Man, there's been an accident, Jeffrey. It actually, it actually it seems like the most terrible version of, I think it was in one of the early seasons of Lost. Do you remember um, the Nikki and Paolo thing? There were those two yeah, characters uh-huh. who were introduced, and mm-hmm. then it just revealed all of a sudden, like, oh, actually, their storyline is that they were jewel thieves and that they buried diamonds on the island, and then they were killed. And yeah, it's just like yep, yep. this feels like that of just like oh actually it turns out her brother's not her brother and they're scheming to bilk her husband out of some stuff so they imp- implicated James in the murder but they're in love and she's conflicted anyway whatever there you go now, that was the story next except that this was just like <laughs> they in Lost when they dumped that storyline they actually had a lot of fun with it and turned it into like one of the better standalone episodes of that show in my opinion whereas this was just like <laughs> eject now <laughs> yeah, get this go yeah. go 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 flush yep. it all shred it uh yeah but just <laughs> we have too many murders and too many schemers in the show now but yeah what you were saying about um about the way that it worked earlier is is totally true and that i think that's just because the show was probably designed and just sort of percolated inside of frost and lynch's brains for so long because you know like Laura Palmer's murder feels like they're like turning the turning the lights on and you watch all of the all of the roaches sort of scurry and that and those little vestiges of leads are what Cooper sort of follows up and sort of you know in the wake of Laura's murder you sort of get the the you sort of can pull at the ends of the thread of like the cocaine dealing and of one-eyed jacks and like the perfume counter and it doesn't really deal with the mill plot at all other than other than uh you know, Ben Horn, I guess, is kind of involved, but like, you know, there's there's some CD schemers in those things, but they're not really what the sh- they're they're not what the show is about. They just appear right. in service of this other thing, which is sort of an investigator trying to untangle the mess of someone's really sort of fucked up life. Whereas now, it just it feels like that has mutated into well, actually, Twin Peaks is a town full of schemers who are just constantly backstabbing each other and scheming. Right. Um, yep. And murdering each other and stuff, which was not what the it was before. The Greater Twin Peaks area. Yeah, it just – it like it's kind of folded in on itself and forgotten the reason that any of this stuff exists. And now we're just adrift in this mm-hmm. sea of weird murdering yeah, schemers. Yeah, that's so true. Remember how, remember how in, like compelling and, and sort of uh, powerful the feeling was when in this show the sensation that the murder of Laura Palmer either – intruded on sort of a quiet town in a way that was uh, shocking and fucked up or brought to light some kind of um, link, like uh, some kind of latent darkness that had been there for a long time. Now it's impossible to get that sensation from anything because it's just, everything is constantly like schemes and murders and plots and like, it's it's impossible to get that, that kind of creepy, melancholy sensation because it's 
there's like eight plots that are constantly always running at all times. Yeah, it feels it feels it also just feels like a bad soap opera. Like this episode especially yeah. is just out of control with I mean, it's still like the characterizations are a little bit stronger than a soap opera, but they're still like especially the new characters are very flat and just the number of the way that events sort of dump into mm-hmm. each other feels very much like a soap opera. But the thing that the thing like I would actually just watch a a, a well done kind of off kilter soap opera, but it feels like it feels like t- Twin Peaks earlier, um, especially like thanks to this show. I feel like especially the Mark Frost stuff feels like it, it was almost a strange sort of love letter or sort of deconstruction of a soap opera, but not to destroy it, more to sort of figure out how it works and use that for the show's own means. Whereas this now feels more like it's a bunch of people sort of sneering at soap operas and like making their own soap opera, but like in that sort of like crappy nineties, like smirky way about, I don't know. Like it feels like when, even when it's at its most self-aware and when it's at its least self-aware, it's actually just a bad soap opera. Yep. Uh, It, 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 it bums me out. And like, I don't know how deliberate or not that is, but I feel like the nineties was a time when pop culture conversation in general was very confused about whether or not something was, a loving deconstruction or like a super barbed sardonic takedown. And like, I feel like Twin Peaks did not start off as, as anything sort of negative in the way that it was built in terms of like its references and the things that it built on top of. But I feel like that is now the case. Like it feels like it's, I don't know how to explain what I'm saying exactly, but does that make sense to you at all? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that, earlier in the run of twin peaks that question was kind of less material to the show because it kind of staked out its own ground on its own merits right and then let that stuff kind of leak into it a little bit mm-hmm. whereas right now it is so consumed with this just like so many overt soap opera tropes. i mean like every character that's introduced now is introduced by way of sort of a dramatic like camera push in or like turning their head dramatically and reflecting fire in their eye. Like, you know, everything is, yep. this stuff is all done in a way that is very melodramatic and very, um, kind of filled with shorthand for how you should feel about the character instead of building your reaction to the character because of things they've actually yep. done. And it's, uh, this might it's be like, here's the guy that you all have to hiss at now because you've heard about how terrible he is. This might and be now he's on the screen. Boo, boo. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, exactly. He has flames in his eyes and he's shot from a low angle. Like, I don't know if the, like, I can't sort of put, um, intentionality into, onto the creators of the show because I don't know what their intention was, but I feel like they have to be aware of the fact that they're using these tropes and therefore they have to, there has to be some element of self-awareness to it. But like earlier Twin Peaks felt like it was taking a lot of these tropes, um, and then using incredibly sort of filmic, uh, f- like filmic language and sort of the speed that you would associate more with with feature films and not with television. But now it's just putting all this stuff through the exact lens of every other television show, and mm-hmm. it, it makes it just strange. Anyway, I, I don't know. Um, do you want to actually go down through some specific stuff? Yeah. Well, we've already pretty much talked about all the James stuff, so I just want to wrap that up by pointing out that. When Donna meets the car lady, whose name I can't even remember anymore. Evelyn. Evelyn. And then Evelyn 
says that James left for Mexico, the ridiculous you and I song starts playing. Oh man! Oh it yeah! It just starts blasting. Yep. Oh my god! I couldn't believe yeah. it. I was cracking. You up. and I comes comes blasting, and then it crossfades to James sort of crying by his bike, and then it yep. fades out. <laughs> This this episode has some prime dumb James face directly into the camera. Yeah. Just some real choice. Like his like 10 degree tilted head, sulky kind of Dawson's <laughs> Creek sulk right into the camera. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, and that's that's about it. I don't have anything else to say about Yeah, James. you and I coming back was was intense. The, the, the way that James' storyline has been handled in this whole thing has just been the most sort of like – ham-fisted, weird, just like sort of smash around a room, knocking everything over when trying to put something together that's really nice. Like, even... Mm-hmm. I We didn't talk about this a couple episodes ago, but when he... When James explains to Evelyn what happened in his life and why he ran away, he was just like, a girl I love died, and then I tried to help, and then someone else died, so I left. And it was just like, wow, I guess just... I guess just fuck Donna. I guess she's just not yep. involved in this. And then... Oh, and then when Donna finally comes back, all that we get out of it is it's you and I blasting in non-dijack sound, and then James crying. Anyway, whatever. It's just yep. <laughs> good. Oh, this is yep. such a bleak episode of, Tw- of Twin Peaks rewatch. I know. I, so we, we've. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no. Nope. Nope. Uh, we've already pretty much, I think, talked about the Cooper s- stuff. Who actually takes up fairly. He's in a bunch of this episode, but he's he not actually directly related to all that much of it, except for Wendell Merle. Um, yep. But I, I, since I know you love this stuff the most, um, I wanted to bring up that we get another superimposed like visual effect as uh, Cooper is talking about Carolyn, his like dead lover who was the wife of Wendell Merle. For yep. his death, he was maybe responsible, or who Wendell Merle may be killed. And anyway, her face like just shows up, sort of bl- just shows up, blowing kind of in the wind in the, the background, yep. mm-hmm. and, and goes away. Uh, so that whole that whole thing was so so bizarre and ridiculous to me as he's like rattling off this big spiel about Carolyn and Wendell Merle, and he keeps topping himself. He's like, and then she was dead. But wait, get this. Winnemarle went mad, but wait, I think he maybe didn't go mad. I think he killed her. Like he just keeps. Yeah, but then, but wait, like, he also killed the person who she saw that put right. her in witness yeah, protection. He killed the also, my job was to w- protect the witness with Wyndham Earl. Also, the witness we were protecting was his wife. Also, yep. she was dead the whole time. Like, okay, it just it eventually <laughs> just falls. Like yep. Cooper explaining this falls on it, like folds in on itself and falls over itself so many times that by the time he's done explaining it, it's already ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like, and the thing that kind of bummed me out about all of it is that the the way the episode opens with the the close up on the gauze and the sort of pullback to reveal the guy and they pull the chest piece out of his mouth and stuff it's actually from a like craftsmanship standpoint really nicely done like that whole opening shot is presented in a way that felt of a higher caliber than a lot of the stuff we've recently had on Twin Peaks but then what is happening is on its face insane and Cooper is just blathering exposition over the entire thing oh it's mm-hmm. just it just bummed me out because I kept I kept kind of wanting to like it. Like I really like that Cooper just kind of looks like a wreck for this entire thing. He's yeah, just this I weird like that. casual that just flop, like flop sweat. Yeah, he's got yeah, he just mm-hmm. kind of looks just like he hasn't showered in a bit. He's looking at that black eye. He's just wearing his just derpy regular guy clothes and just like 
the the lighting in that scene's really good and like sort of the pacing of it's good but then the stuff that he's saying is just Wyndham Merle is a genius uh <laughs> <laughs> oh it's just mm, it's it was it, um oh and then he's like, like he's like Wyndham Merle's little brother who can't stop yeah, talking about how like, amazing his big I, brother is and I know we're not really going this, through this in order but I just want to sort of my arc with this episode it, that scene ended and then it was that really quick scene with Audrey and Bobby that there's not a whole lot to talk about with it, I guess. Um, but I liked that it, you know, where Audrey says, I'm the one you suck up to. Then Bobby's like, what about Shelly? And then Audrey says, what about Shelly? Then we yeah. immediately cut to that, that like Michael Myers horror scene with Shelly. Mm-hmm. And like yep. that, that was, and that whole thing's really terrifying. Well, it's really, really yeah. well done. And I thought like, mm-hmm. just from a construction, Although, how did Leo lock all the doors from the inside? I feel like he didn't. And Shelly was just panicking, but I don't, I don't want to, ju- I don't want to talk about the scene, I guess yet. Uh, okay. if we're, if we're going to go in order, but just like, sure. Other than a little bit of just garbage exposition by Cooper, I thought that like just the presentation of all of that stuff. Oh, and then it goes to back to the sheriff's department with the body being wheeled out and the, the camera flashes going off and stuff. And it was like, Oh, this is actually just really nicely constructed mm-hmm. uh, and well considered for that stuff. And then it just like in it, all of the bad stuff just consumes the episode over the rest of it to the point that like it's, looking back at this beginning stuff, I was like, why did I even enjoy this? Um, <laughs> by, by the place of the episode ends. But um, there was just a, like a lot of effort being put in, in service of just not good content, which I guess kind of like yeah. we're seeing just different versions of that every single week where it's like, this is still clearly a show that has people on it and money behind it and attention paid to it from when it was sort of TV's prestige darling for the first 10 episodes. And now it's just like just throwing good money after bad week after Mm -hmm. week. Anyway, um, the rest we can, we we might as well. So the next thing I have on my list is kind of Bobby and Audrey and Shelly and Leo. So we can just talk about that. Okay. And I guess that kind of does dovetail back into Wyndham Earl at the end of the episode too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We should talk about Bobby Mm -hmm. and Audrey first, I guess, if there's anything more to say about it. True. Um, that was a tiny scene. It basically says they're officially in cahoots and beyond that, not a lot's going on. Right. Yeah, it's true. The one, the one other, so you mentioned the moment where Audrey says from now on, Bobby, I'm the one you suck up to. The thing I like, in addition to the Shelly thing that you mentioned that then cuts to her, uh, the other thing I liked about that line is that it, the, the kind of implicit other suggestion being made there is that Bobby is basically always sucking up to somebody. Yep. Like that guy has <laughs> he doesn't have enough of an identity or anything going on that he that he isn't always just kind of riding on someone else's coattails, which is true. Yeah, Bobby Bobby is just like the ultimate toady in all like mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. There's another uh, – I guess we talked about a lot of this stuff already. Um, there were a lot of owl insert shots in this episode, and I think the first one was uh, during um, Shelley running around trying to get away from Leo, right? Yeah, I thought that scene was incredibly well done, the whole that whole Shelley and Leo thing. I mean there was, there was some super cheesy moves, but at the same time I kind of forgave them because they felt entirely in line with the genre that they were – that they were sort of – Mm-hmm. using and which is something that i that i i probably have more tolerance for now in this sort of weird uh period of twin peaks 
where it is so much more of pastiche. Yeah, like if if this was a David Lynch episode and Leo pushed the wheelchair to exactly where Shelley was running, so she tripped over it and fell, and then she like scrambled at the door and couldn't get it to unlock as an axe was being dragged along the ground, I would Correct. be really bummed. Yeah. But like, mm-hmm. but at this point in the show, it's like they they set this up so long ago that I'm fine to see it be get, getting right. knocked down in yeah. this exact yeah, yeah, yeah. way where it's like okay, right? If if this had established the tone of Twin Peaks early in the first season, it would just be a totally different show. Yes. Now at this point, it's just inconsequential. It's just a nice piece of film that someone made. Yeah. And like, it doesn't feel like Twin Peaks, but it does feel nice and filmic and confidently mm-hmm. made. Like all the shots were, except, yeah, except exactly. the insert shots of the knife when it, <laughs> it gets knocked yeah. out of the hand. That was the worst <laughs> shot at all. Where it just like slides in. Like, it looks like a reverse shot. It looked like they dragged yeah, it away exactly. out of string exactly and then reversed it. Like, it. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. So it looks like it was from the evil dead or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. And then Shelly uh, like spends like five minutes trying to dig it out. Mm-hmm. But whatever. I just the whole thing was good. Like it was it was really satisfying to see Shelly pick up a knife and then instead of immediately use it on Leo to finally just get out of the house by cutting through the plastic sheet. Like that felt like Except she didn't make it. No, she doesn't no, she doesn't make it. Leo pulls her back in, but like as far as a like nice weird symbolic escape from that life, the attempt that oh, the I attempt to saying. make yeah, is yeah. to like cut through the crappy construction project that escaped made me really happy. And then yeah, she was grabbed back Except in. Except that she needs Bobby to come rescue her anyway. Yeah. Which although Bobby Bobby tries to rescue her, then ends up in a fight with the axe for Leo, then Shelly ends up actually being the one who stabs Leo, then That's he true. then he That's leaves true. through the through the sheet. And then the show mm-hmm. does a really cheesy thing and has like a bad slow mo video effect of the sheet blowing in the wind with synth music <laughs> over the top. Um, there's also just like a screaming owl that flies over Leo. Oh yeah, there's also a bad video effect of an owl. Um <laughs> The the only other thing I want to mention about this about the the uh, scene with um, Shelley and Bobby and Leo is that <laughs> as Shelley and Bobby are like embracing and Leo is screaming as he's running away in the background, there's just this big, huge, goofy clown face on the wall I behind know. them. That's got to be left over from Leo's birthday party. Yeah. Oh, also, okay. A couple things. One, the actor who plays Leo has the most unique scream of Mm -hmm. anyone like leo's scream is actually unsettling and weird it doesn't sound like his voice at all but yeah i i think about it a lot because the the um the moment in season one when shelly shoots leo he lets out that scream and we used it as the opening clip of that episode so sometimes i Mm -hmm. hear it when i'm going through the stuff that like "Ah!" it's it's weird (laughs) and you hear that all over the place in this but then it's um, even crazier in this episode because it's far off and it's highly reverbed it just sounds like an effect yeah it sounds like a weird monster thing um the other thing is just to drive home leo as this weird sort of like michael myers jason Voorhees character when he's trying to kill shelly all that he says is goodbye wife and then when he's trying to kill bobby all that he says is goodbye (laughs) yeah that's true i so like i can't tell like what leo's um like mental and physical state is it's really hard to tell and that that like also puts him in that sort of 70s early 80s slasher film killer thing where it's like are you brain damaged are you right like mm-hmm. do, are you a weird psychopath like do you just mm-hmm. do you, like is your understanding is your current understanding of sort of like social order wrong or or are you completely there and you're just being malicious and th- like right. the way leo was talking and the way that he was presented like you'd see sort of life and intent in his eyes but then the way he verbalized stuff was very weird and like i it, it i mean it just was 100% playing to that genre but i thought that it, it all actually worked for me pretty well 
uh, except for the, that mm-hmm, stupid sure. knife. But anyway, whatever. Yeah, then yeah. then there was that clown face, and everything was good. Uh, so, do you want to talk about? Well, is there anything? Is there, I guess we can talk about Ben a bit because he's connected to all this stuff. Is Ben? I guess Ben's connected to it, and then Leo's sort of end uh, end point is connected to all this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't have I don't have a lot to say about about the Ben stuff except. That I like that when Jerry arrives, it's revealed that Doctor Jacoby is just, He's just sitting up on there. that chair watching this whole thing, and then like encouraging it apparently uh, in a fairly stupid yeah like, I, I pop was, psychology I was, nonsense. I was really role. disappointed with Doctor Jacoby in this episode. I, I had yeah. forgotten about it because I last week we talked about this about how I was actually excited yeah. that Doctor right, Jacoby was going to be here and is going to be dealing with Ben Horn and Jacoby's two scenes both feel like a paper cut out of Jacoby. Like it feels like mm-hmm. someone They feel like what you think he's going to be at the beginning. Yeah. It feels like instead you read of someone, what he actually is. Yeah. You read a two sentence synopsis of Dr. Jacoby then say, okay, and that character, just so you know, writer, that character is in the episode. So write for him, but don't ever actually look at, uh, look at his performance and look at what his character actually is because <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just sort of like, yeah, a pop psychology sort of enabler guy mm-hmm. and like, saying the thing that doesn't that makes the opposite of sense but it's because he's a wacky like laissez-faire pop psychologist whereas the like jacoby that's not actually his character like he presents as that and it's true that, like he he's like probably more allowing with laura than he should be and stuff but he also like he usually in the past but that's also par- partly he, because he himself is kind of vulnerable but that's yeah, not what's like, going on here yeah he's, he's, he's he always had a secondary like, reason i i know exactly what's going on just gotta keep doing what they're doing it's yeah not interesting at all yeah no it, like he what is his role it doesn't do anything it doesn't achieve anything yeah it was it was it was a bummer to me um i mean like i was happy to see him back on the show and I, like his reveal was really strong uh of him being just hovering above ben horn watching him like a like like you're observing an animal in a zoo or something, but like his diagnosis was, was, was weak and disappointing. Yep. Um, the other thing I liked about the, well, uh, not that I thought was the thing I liked about this scene, but <laughs> I liked how disappointing I, Jacoby was. Yeah. A thing I liked about, uh, the scene was that, um, Ben Horn recites the St. Crispin's day speech from Henry V, mm-hmm. uh, which just ties into his kind of Shakespeare thing. I feel like th- this weird like unhinged um ben horn has just made at least three different shakespeare references over the course of the last several episodes and it's a really subtle thing that is not there's very little attention called to it Um, and i think it's a nice little it's the kind of subtle character building that is generally not done this late in twin peaks but seems to be important for some reason to this character of all people yep also i was super down with ben horn turning the electric fan on before putting the confederate yeah, flag next to him <laughs> like my dream when that was happening like if he, when he was sitting there sort of looking off into the distance being like a visionary leader with the with the flag waving behind him and the fan had he just in his other hand pulled out a cigar and just chomped it oh it would it would have <laughs> it would have validated a lot that was yeah, going on true. in that scene because like because him turning the fan on also made me be like how aware are you of what's going on here? Because you're just creating dramatic moments now using like props. Like it's mm-hmm. not, uh, yeah. Where's that? Where was that chomp and cigar? Um, it's fine. Yeah. But that visual was also just really hilarious to me. They, they just, they, they built that up nicely. 
Yeah, yeah, it was it was good. Um, do you want to talk about Andy, Dick, and Lucy? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't sound like you do. <laughs> We gotta, we gotta. So that scene. That, I mean, we can go through this fast. There's really not that much. Andy, to say Dick, about and Lucy it. starts with Andy taking off a rubber glove and it smacks onto Lucy's window, right? I mean, yeah. And this, to me, with between that moment and the way that Lucy just has has had it, like up to here with those those two bozos, seemed like a real um, return to the, those characters' classic dynamic in the sense that Andy is just sort of an incompetent goofball and Lucy is um, kind of uh, hyperactive, but also um, like doesn't have time for his shit. Yep. Um, so that was fine. I wasn't bothered by any of that. Yep. Yeah, I know. And like the, like her pulling and the glove out and in, snapping his finger and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, at least Lucy's doing and saying stuff again, which she has not been for several episodes. Um, there was a, a, pretty classic Andy exchange that I actually genuinely enjoyed when he's like, we think Nikki murdered his parents. And, uh, and Lucy's like, he's nine years old. And Andy goes, I know, I know. he was six at the time of the crime. <laughs> I know, <laughs> that yeah. actually cracked me up. I like that too. I wrote that down. <laughs> and then also doc Hayward, I, this episode, I, I might be over, I might be sort of, um, fanning this out wider than it actually is in, in, in reality. But, I feel like Doc Hayward increasingly is kind of one of the only voices of reason on this show. Um, like he, he seems to have a lot more screen time than he used to be. And I wonder if part of that is because inexplicable shit just keeps happening either like in the plot or be, or in what in this idiotic things characters are saying. Um, and so he needs to keep just like just to appearing like, to sort to go, of say what? something logical. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Speaking of which, I wa- I went back and watched his like antics during the killed or killed him with sex scene, and that was really good. Oh yeah, so I know. We don't have to go into that. No, but that was that really was maybe hilarious. the beginning of Doc Hayward's rise as a force of just going, okay, okay, reality around me. You gotta just tone mm-hmm. it down mm-hmm. a little bit because yep. yeah, his his talk to Andy and Dick was was good actually. So actually continuing on this thread and going to Nadine and Ed, um, which is the next thing I have down here. Oh, um, you're, you're, you don't want to talk about the doc Hayward. I guess, I don't know if there's anything to talk about with it, with Hayward. Is talking. There? I don't know. I guess not. I just, I liked it the end. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of what I was, what I was talking okay. Like that's what I was referring to, I suppose. Oh, okay. sorry. It was him saying, giving this whole like incredibly detailed, um, account of Nikki's life. Uh, but uh, so the Nadine and Ed stuff. The reason I the reason I'm I'm segueing from that to this is that it cracks me up that in in a kind of in a way that that doesn't call that much attention to itself. Ed is basically like joking to Doc Hayward about having just like the roughest sex imaginable. Is that what's happening? Is that what he was describing? Yeah, I think that is with correct. Nadine. We're, That's what we're, it seems because Hayward he, is like, is she sexually like, active? And he's like. Right. I feel like I got hit with a freight train or whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, so that is then like back to back with Norma bringing him his food with like extra potatoes, wink. And Ed's like, Hey, thanks. So and they're clearly like pleased about having slept together. Right. Know, so, yesterday, so, I guess. Ed so, is just, is- <laughs> Ed is just having a lot of 
weird and or meaningful and or both sex with right. with two yeah. people right now and no one seems yeah. to care. Right. And all of this is accompanied by a lot of just like winky illusion in front of Doc Hayward. It's, yeah. It's, just it's like fine, I guess. He's a doctor. Ed seems to not be having any like I, I guess in not quite the way that I expected. Um we were talking we were talking last week about how like maybe Ed's sort of conundrum over over which woman is the woman for his life is over. And I guess maybe it's just over because both. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, Because like within within the confines of what I guess is a day, because every episode of Flynn Peaks is a day unless explicitly stated otherwise, he and Norma slept together and he and Doc Hayward were joking about how sex with Nadine is insane. Mm-hmm. So I except guess. Except that, <laughs> I mean, except that I, part of that I feel like was kind of just played for the joke because we we already got the sense that Nadine was kind of over Ed at this point. Yeah, that's uh, true. Because he's so because he's so boring, which is why I thought like Norma and Ed in this episode finally talk about getting together for real for kind of the long term. Yep, um, which is nice to see with requisite uh, cheesy music. Right, of course. Um, and I kind of understood that to mean that the only reason that is able to happen is because Nadine isn't actually seriously interested oh, yeah. in a long-term relationship with Ed anymore because Ed, like I think we've learned, we know about Ed that he's not going to like desert her himself, but if she's kind of just over it, then yeah, he's no, like, that, well, that's, that so. is, that, that is, that is true. Um, it, <clears throat> Ed's just, Got to be a little bit of a weird place. Or Ed has had a strange journey, I'll say, for the la- in the last like two weeks of his life. Yeah, he seems to be coming to terms with it though. In this 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 episode, for the first time, possibly. Yeah, like he and Doc Hayward were joking about setting a nine p.m. curfew for for Nadine and stuff. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man. That that scene with Ed and Norma ends with some really creepy smiles i'll also just point that out they they were bad at, they were bad at it for a minute there mm-hmm. yep <laughs> it's true i guess when they are genuinely happy they it's not it's not really an attractive look for either of them i guess <laughs> <laughs> well they've been doing the kind of like suppressed uh kind of knowing looks for so long that when when they finally have to play like sly like we actually did something together um it's like, That's oh. not really their thing. It's no, maybe maybe they were maybe they weren't them. meant to be after all. Now that they've sort of done it, and they're like, no, they were meant to be star-crossed. Um, yeah, you know, lovers kept apart. Yeah, the tension is gone, and now the the real the real smiles are coming out, and it's just not quite as, as, <laughs> it's as not quite they're not finding we quite as a, yeah yeah <laughs> no it's like the it's like the uh, you know it's the classic situation where you yeah it's a will they won't the they oh they did exactly but oh they did um. Yeah, go back to the anyway. sort of go back to the knowing the knowing suppressed smiles. Those were far more uh, befitting to your faces. Spe- oh. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of crazy sexual antics, do you want to talk about the latest bullshit in the two brothers storyline? Yeah, I keep thinking maybe the dumbest thing in this entire episode, which is all, pretty much always the dumbest thing in whatever episode it's God, in, as far as I'm concerned. Cooper's little sort of smug. Okay, well, yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we won't get there yet because that was that was. Like to me, maybe the scene, including its weird structure over a commercial break, could be the lowest moment of Twin Peaks ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was so bad. Uh, I mean, it's maybe not the most objectionable moment because I would say that's probably some of the Josie Packard stuff. But the just sort of lowest, just crap TV moment 
mm-hmm. is probably this stuff because which is I mean because woof. which it also was two weeks ago which two weeks ago yeah but we've we're at, we're in a new place oh I know no no I agree I'm just saying it's it's picking up the mantle that it itself established yeah um so yeah so J- Jacoby gives this thing about. How she's totally fine, other than a heightened sexual drive that few men have ever had the pleasure of experiencing or the ability to match, which is already – this is basically an episode of um, like extreme figures who are explained to us in great detail about how amazingly unusual and incredible they yep. are. I mean like it just keeps happening, and it's idiotic always. I mean it's it's – every. I actually, Anytime anyone is described with those kind of superlatives, you're just you're just taking it out of the realm of like actual human. Well, that's the thing. I actually reality. thought, based on the way, like, based on the way that like Cooper just kept creepily smiling at her, and like everyone just sort of like. Well, has, Cooper like congratulates her. Like, like <laughs> the, the, the way that, that the way that her magnetic pull works, like. It actually got to the point that I was like, is there a stupid storyline that I'm forgetting where she actually has, like, literal superhuman abilities and this is somehow connected to some bullshit lore like the way that Nadine – Like the way that Nadine can throw people through walls. Like if this was Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something, she would actually just be like a C-level big bad for the season. Like there would actually just be this weird – like she would just actually be revealed to be a fucking succubus demon or something and it would be like, oh, wow, you know. Mm -hmm. Because like the way that – it's just it goes so out of control with this stuff to the mm-hmm. point, and like, and then like tacking it on to sort of Cooper's understanding of of people, like the way that it tries to play that, where he like has the great idea of putting them in a room together, then just crosses oh, yeah. his it's, arms and smirks. That like, was like a that was like a newspaper comic strip. Yeah, that that was that was a gag on the level of like a four panel funny pages. Yep, strip. and then it just. We're, we're adopting, but oh man, it was so out of control that Cooper was like, "All we have to do is wait." And then the the shot holds. Jacoby Cuts like starts smirking. Okay, it yeah. Fa- yeah, it mm-hmm. fades out, fades up, and they're still waiting. Oh, it's so bad! It's so bad that they like it. It just like it it bastardizes a bunch of stuff that's really cool about Cooper's character. It bastardizes like the format of like it uses the format of TV in just this abusive way for the worst joke. Like oh, everything about it is bad. Oh, mm-hmm. so bad. Yep. When they came back uh, up on oh, that man. same and shot, and, man. And that, yeah, God, I know that was unreal. And then when they open the door, the cartoon thing actually holds even better than I thought it did. Because he has all those because lips. Because he has all those cartoon lipstick kisses all over him. Oh my God, what a joke! I mean, it's it's truly yeah, bef- before like. When Cooper says, I've got a plan, like in my notes, I wrote odds that this ends in them getting married or engaged is very high. And then, yeah, then fade out, fade up. And then it comes back. I guess they're going to adopt a child instead. But man, I was, I was, I had predicted it would go as far as he has put like his old engagement ring on her. But I guess, I guess not. Um, I guess they're instead just going to have a kid together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, I kind of actually, even though this, I don't know if this is the best order to go in. I kind of want to go from that to Josie because um, one of the things I Josie said Josie who does not like, appear once in this episode. You just mean that storyline. Yeah, I'm sorry. To the whole thing surrounding her with Pete and Catherine. No, that actually makes sense because um, the the the, um, the way the show goes, act- actually the next shot after that is cuts to a bunch of totem poles, then Pete saying hot dogs. So that actually – Right, even, right. Okay, okay. Yeah. You're right. So that's fine. So um, – when we first started talking about this episode, you know, 45 minutes ago or whatever, I said the double play title to me 
um, seemed appropriate. And part of what I meant was that I felt like this episode had a lot of dichotomies in it. I don't know how much of this was in- intentional or even if I find it interesting. I, I, I more find it obnoxious than anything else. But there was the, like I said, the kind of two brilliant there's like the brilliant killer and then the kind of Jason, like possibly brain damaged, mm-hmm. like strong guy killer. Um, there's Thomas Eckert and Andrew Packard, both of whom are kind of introduced as like mysterious, threatening only because of stuff that a bunch of characters have said, graying white guys. Yeah. Um, which is also kind of how Wyndham Earl is introduced, like just further diluting the like. How many times can we see just kind of forty-ish? The end guy, of this episode like, was literally three of those back to back, with, yeah, the, with right. the exception of Leo stumbling upon the last one. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. and then and then the <laughs> other the other sort of echo that I in this episode to me was um, the whole uh, like succubus lady described as just like a master of sexual arts and seduction. And then in the same episode, um, Andrew Packard talking about Josie is like, I've never known Josie's seductive powers to fail. Like at this point, the writers of this show have just the lowest opinion of, I guess everyone, but their opinion of women is certainly particularly a bummer. Um, like how, how do we go from one, lady being just like unintentional all consuming seductress to then talking about this other character who's just been shat upon as just like master seductress also like well that's also evelyn her job and is ba- that's true <laughs> it's just all your job is is to basically to either be to, men, to yeah. be beat up or mm-hmm. to be like a yep. malicious manipulator of a man right yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's cool it's yeah it's it's a real bummer. I'm not into it. Um, one, the one thing I did like about this whole thread was the introduction to uh, this scene with the, the the opening shot of the big sort of Native American totem pole uh, with – I looked this up. It's Edward Gregg's Piano Concerto in A minor. Um, and it's I, – I mean I'm known for saying this. I like it when this show introduces um, – externally sourced music that is not just sort of the standard Angelo Battle Elementary score. Yep. Um, and I, I, I think it's just often used really well. And as stupid as I found, as stupid as I continue to find all of this, like Andrew Eckert, Packard, Andrew Packard, Thomas Eckert, whatever, those guys are interchangeable as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, Thomas <laughs> Packard. Yeah. I, that whole scene with that music I thought was, or the, the usage of that music I thought was incredible because it, it just kind of in, I think totally classic t- Twin Peaks style flip flops between actual foreboding. Like, you know, that opening shot is really um, intimidating and cool to Pete going, we forgot the hot dogs. We forgot the weenies like yep. all under the same extremely dramatic music. Um, that that stuff is fantastic. I love that. It's too bad that it's being used on this just like completely forgettable, endless scheming. It's the classic uh, crime syndicate connection between small time independent loggers in America's Northwest and Hong Kong uh, like m- mob. <laughs> it's all about that time that uh, these two guys went into business together, and then uh, their their uh, 
Their long-standing lucrative partnership dissolved because, quote, I got the better of him in a piece of business. He tried to stab me in the back. Classic, classic <laughs> I, well-reasoned I, I, reasoning for this story to have any teeth. I actually completely zoned out. I don't even, I don't even remember what any of this is about. I basically just, at this point, fall well, asleep. When, I'm not literally. It's not, I, I mean, I, I, I watched that scene twice to try and figure out what was going on. And the answer is basically just a muddy mess. Like that was the motivation. Was he like Andrew Packard literally says, I got the better of him in a piece of business and he tried to stab me in the back. And that's, yeah. and now their arch enemies were one of them tried to murder the other one and he faked his own death. And also they were trying to sell the mill to Ben Horn, I guess, but not yep. anyway. Cool. Um, this is probably the storyline that should not have become more epic than small town business owners squabble over a yes. piece of the town's history and jobs. Instead, now it's about explosions and boating accidents mm-hmm. and the Hong Kong mafia. Yeah. Like, it's, I feel like it's it's already stretched pretty far to think that a town that is demonstrated to be as small and remote as Twin Peaks, I already find it pretty unbelievable that I could support both a hotel as large and opulent as the Great Northern and a store as large and opulent as Horn's Department Store. That already – I think is a stretch, but I kind of, you kind of accept it. They they also kind of feel like they're both holdovers from like an earlier time when maybe Twin Mm -hmm. Peaks had a little bit of a resort feel to it or something. Right. When it maybe when it was more of a crossing point, like a stopping point for like this booming industry. Right. So so then it it feels like Ben Horn trying to scrape out the land of the mill and turning it into a housing development. Like it feels like that is like he wants to recapture that. Yeah. It feels like it's the last vestiges of like the, of twin peaks, maybe almost having a boom in his parents time. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's fine. And it perpetually failing all tracks really well. But then this is like, yeah, once it turns into sort of a nexus of global organized crime and like multiple overlapping life and death schemes, I don't really buy that this like podunk place is actually really of this much consequence. Yeah, it's, to- it's strange. <laughs> that a anyway. man, Thomas Eckert, who has the, the financial wherewithal to reserve two suites at the great Northern. And that feels a little far fetched to me. <laughs> <laughs> also that he wears sunglasses and a robe. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. Well, that scene is like, it one ups itself because first, there's the the woman, whoever she is, who checks in. And she's under like, his What's name. your name? Thomas Eckert. Oh. Yeah, and that's already like, Oh, man. And then they do it again by just panning over to him and then having him like look away and reflect the thing as the camera pushes in. Like, this Twin Peaks can no longer, it can't help itself from constantly introducing or cutting to all characters in the most cheesy, like, soap opera you know, 1930s Hollywood way. Yep. Uh, then I guess on this thread, it actually it cuts from that to the sheriff station and Cooper is like just dicking around. Th- this scene actually feels like Cooper's about to get a talking to or he's going to be fired. Like that was the feeling that I thought that this was like Cooper's office space scene for a second because he's got that like he's just sort of dicking around in his regular old clothes. He's got a book about Tibet in his hand. They're just like I, like – and then Truman's like, Cooper, we need to talk. <laughs> I thought that it was going to be like, you're really just kind of bumming around and not doing anything. <laughs> but instead, it's a Truman hands him a piece of paper that just says, Asian man killed. <laughs> and it says, you got to look into this because I think that uh, this has something to do with Josie, who I love. And it's like, oh, Truman, no. 
the newspaper headline being Asian man killed actually like totally cracked me up, especially I don't know. <laughs> that, that's a that's about as far as my like level of comprehension or interest in any of this stuff goes. Also, yeah, this show goes from goes from Cooper's fascination with Tibet and the Dalai Lama and Tibetan rock throwing and stuff to 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 Asian to man Asian man killed, <laughs> and that's all reference to the same scene because Cooper has that book on Tibet and like his love yeah. of Tibet to just. Um, <laughs> anyway, I I don't know. I feel like we're running out of steam. And also, probably good, just good thing this up. good thing for Cooper that he was uh, cleared of all criminal charges, but like still suspended, so he could still. Yeah, keep well, doing the stuff that he's doing, but not have to worry that anything's actually wrong. Chris, I feel like we need to wrap this up, or this is just going to be a bad, yeah, a, a bad right. drag. Like I feel we didn't like- even talk about Briggs, but I don't know if I want to. Other than to say, uh, to we, uh, I guess I talked about his Air Force thing a yeah, little bit. It's and it, then the line, "I will return until that time. I will be in the shadows if you need me." Okay. Um, it, <laughs> look me up on, at the shadows. The thing that made that okay, yeah, that cross cut to us. the competing institution to the Great Northern. Uh, it's it's the competing institute to uh to um man what man what is it called uh, the White Lodge no uh, no 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 it's uh I'm not gonna even remember what it's called the, to hide out Wally's <laughs> no I, the thing that made the shadows okay to me was that Truman that just basically was like the shadows like I even he didn't buy that at this point. I know, yeah. But whatever. Yep. Uh, we we got to stop. Yeah, no, I know. We got to call it quits here. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening to Twin Peaks Rewatch. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, why not uh, introduce it to a friend or give us a review on iTunes? We would really appreciate it. It's the only way that we have to reach new people. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Peaks Rewatch, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Twin Peaks Rewatch. Our website is twinpeaksrewatch.com. And has our whole episode archive on it. Yep. Um, I know that we're, we are like, we've sort of been skirting around with how the, like how the show's maybe entering the doldrums, but then we keep sort of finding things to really enjoy. Mm -hmm. I feel really sad that at this moment in time, I'm actually past that. I feel like I'm like, I've been sort of like pleasantly surprised by the last few episodes. And like, I almost feel like apologizing to people who have listened through this much of the show with us, that this is where (laughs) we're at in the show because yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's just a little bit of a bummer, but, um, well, we're good. I mean, we're in the home stretch at this point. Yeah. I mean, there are, we're, we're, we're on the last eight episodes of the show at this point. So, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I know at least like the last one I'm really excited about in the movie coming up after that. And at this point, I'm just kind of like, I feel like we're now entering the phase where we will watch Twin Peaks as basically an experiment. Yep. No, that's, that's, I'm I'm interested enough in that. I'm, I, I enjoy the discussions enough to to keep me going through the last eight episodes. Yep. Also, um, next week we get to see what an episode of Twin Peaks directed by Diane Keaton looks like. So that's, yeah, that's, uh, that's true. <laughs> Looking forward to that. I don't remember this at all. But uh, Yeah, directed by Diane Keaton and written by Peyton and Engels. So let's yeah, see what right. happens next go. week. Um, I feel like we keep skipping reader mail, but I, I think that next week we got to just – Yeah, keep, I've been – as as people can maybe tell, I, I'm recording remotely this week. Um, so it's kind of an odd episode. But I, we'll get we'll try and get back to that next week. Yep. Um, and – no spoilers this week, I guess. No. Uh, you can reach us at Twin Peaks at idlethumbs.net. And on that, thanks for listening. Yep. Thanks, guys. Uh, see you next week for that crazy episode. Bye.
拜。